The following conversation originally aired on the Wednesday Point, which is hosted by J.C. Silk and Louise Kaplan on 88.9 FM, High Desert Community Radio in Bend, Oregon. Airing weekdays at 9 a.m., The Point is a half-hour, locally produced show focusing on people and events in Central Oregon. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of The Point. I'm J.C. Silk speaking to you from our KPOV studio, joined by my co-host Louise Kaplan. And our guest this morning is Michael Scott Stevens, Pema Kunsang founder and teacher from the Natural Mind Dharma Center. Good morning, Michael Stevens, and welcome to the Wednesday Point. We are excited to have you with us today to talk about a topic I find positive and philosophical, Buddhism, and more specifically, Vajrayana Buddhism. Good morning. First off, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became the founder and teacher at the Natural Mind Dharma Center? Let's see, do you have about three weeks? <laughs> <laughs> I was one of those beings who popped out of the womb, interested in what makes people tick. I actually wrote a paper on theology in third grade. Wow. And Third grade? Third grade. I didn't my, know what my, theology was in third yeah. grade. And when I got into high school, I did a film on how we individuate the masks we wear, what causes us to take on the, the self we think we are. Because of my parents and some influence in the sciences, I actually started out in college in biochemistry, but I was put in an advanced class just because I was a pretty good student. The first term in college, I was isolating DNA from a desiccated rat's liver. How much fun is that? Wow. Should be on everybody's bucket <laughs> list. Um, and when I lifted up the glass tube and saw this kind of slime, which was the DNA dripping by, and I was looking at that, I said, you know, actually that's not, a, I'm not interested as much in that as what's behind that. Who, what is the being that is created? out of that and how we make decisions and then later on in, in college a roommate of mine chose to kill himself it was very violent when I was cleaning up after the event I was cleaning up Richard's DNA I had an epiphany I said what would bring his DNA to this decision who are we really so I ended up with a degree in comparative religions and went on to grad school and you know this is such a long story so I'll make it a little shorter. I did a, a long journey which involved studying with indigenous people, Hopi particularly, and uh, Zen tradition. Uh, I taught and studied yoga, actually the first yoga center in Bend I established uh, early 80s. <laughs> That's that, great. That was lifetimes ago. But I always had a foot in Buddhism and when I met my Tibetan Buddhist teachers I knew I was home. My teachers encouraged me to write and to teach and we have a Dharma Center and we'll be 27 years in Bend is this coming April. Here we are having an interview. <laughs> when I was watching a Thich Nhat Hanh talk, he mm -hmm. talked about how there's people in your life you can't change and you want to help them, but you can't always do that. So each person you're in contact with, you take a part of them with mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. and they're inside you. And by being a better person yourself, mm -hmm. you make them better. Oh, sure. I was wondering if you could talk about the concept of impermanent and what that means. Everything changes. It's a foundation of Buddha's teaching. One of the kinds of suffering we experience is the suffering of change. When things change and we're, we're not, we don't expect it or we don't want it, then we have a kind of uh, challenge mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is. And but as if things aren't going to change. I read a book recently about geology, that if we all thought like geologists, we would be happier. Because if you think like geologists, you have this long view of change, constant change, constant change. And so the law of impermanence is really basically our ability to handle change 
in every given moment with some sense of equanimity, taking the lessons of that change into the next moment of change and into the next moment of change and so on. You said you wrote a paper on theology in the third grade. Mm -hmm. I was wondering, when did you get the first inklings of spirituality or that you were drawn to it? I have one of these memories that goes way back. I can remember when I was three years old communicating with what I thought was voice was God because that was the language that was around me. I knew that there was some kind of transcendent, ungraspable reality that can be experienced directly by people. Of course, it took me a long time to integrate my young mind into what that really was. Here we are now. It, it started in a very young age. And like I said, when I met my Buddhist teachers, it, it felt like what they, what they were teaching was already inscribed upon my heart since long before I was born. And it, it turned out I actually had, like in the Buddhists, a great recycling program we call Buddhism. Apparently, I'd had some past life experiences with this too. So, but that's a whole nother topic. That's great that you were drawn to something yeah. at such a young age. So mm -hmm. I did not grow up in a religious household, but I was personally shocked because the more I read about Buddhism, it felt more like a philosophy than a religion. It is open, accepting, and the values to me felt like a guide to live a happier life. But do you find that you need to be religious to practice the principles of Buddhism? You just be who you are. And if you find an interest in it, then fine. If it's helpful. Dalai Lama said, you know, poor Buddhism, the religious people think it's too much of a philosophy and the philosophers think it's too religious. It has no place to lay its head. A lot of people that come from all sorts of different traditions or no traditions find, can find themselves a home there because it doesn't require you to, to jettison anything. You just find that it helps you settle the mind uh, to become a more compassionate being on this planet. And for, from my standpoint, you know, you know, Buddhism is non-proselytizing, so I don't care whether it be People go out becoming more Buddhist-flavored whenever I teach. Having more compassion in the world is a really good thing. And if Buddhism helps a person that do that, that's fine. If another tradition, that's fine too. I've heard some conversations about how the rise in technology is actually decreasing empathy in young individuals. Do you find that there's less empathy and compassion in the world in this day? I think it's, there, there's something to be said, and you can point to a lot of studies. Uh, there's a lot of mental health issues associated with uh, the involvement with social media and so on. But I think uh, social media creates such a distance. We lose presence and connection, and we lose skills in how to be present and connect. And if we do that, we're going to lose our compassion for other beings. You know, if they're somewhere out there disembodied on, on the Internet or in a social media, we don't really... The more we know each other, the more empathy and the more compassion that we will have for each other. And that happens best in presence, in real time. And we were talking before we went on the air uh -huh. about Zoom. Uh -huh. As our listeners know, we did the show for two and a half years via Zoom, doing it in studio where we can make eye contact, watch body language, be present uh -huh. is very, very different. Yeah. Traditions like Buddhism, and most traditions have a root in this, that are oral, oral transmission, that they're actually meant to be transmitted from person to person to person to person. It doesn't translate well online. You can begin to learn at a certain level, but, you know, the real, the juice <laughs> is in person. The Natural Mind Dharma Center specializes in Vajrayana Buddhism, which originates from Tibet. Can you tell us how that is different from other forms of Buddhism? Well, Vajrayana Buddhism actually developed in Tibet in its most high 
expression, but Vajrayana Buddhism actually started in northern India. When Buddhism was planted in Tibet, it took on some affect of that culture. So what we call Tibetan Buddhism is kind of like Vajrayana Buddhism meets the Tibetan culture. Vajrayana is is different than like Zen and some of the other traditions in, in the outward form of the practice. The practice we do visualizations and mantra and then also meditation. But the visualizations and the mantras help to purify the mind stream. As a matter of fact, the visualization process that we teach helps you understand how your mind creates the reality that it sees. A lot of times we discuss like quantum physics and different things because the Vajrayana approach is very similar to quantum physics. Quantum physics, it says matter doesn't really matter. Everything that we see is just energy and that energy attains a form based on the percep perceptual field. In other words, how you, how you see things is how it is, how it creates things. Our mind has all these filters through which we see and those filters project out and kind of create the reality that we see. We end up in the visualization process, we intentionally create a reality and then we dissolve it and then we do the meditation and you get behind creation of the mind. Does that go along with the concept of attachment in Buddhism? Yeah, you know, you create something that's really beautiful and then you have to let it go Yeah. <laughs> in the same moment. It really helps to get used to the fact that this is the way our original mind does. You think of it like a child. We think that they have short attention span, but actually they have a really focused attention span and then they're done and they go to something else. You see, what we tend to think of as attention spans, you just hang on and hang on and hang on to the thing for a long time. It's oftentimes past its expiration date. Sometimes we need to let go of a habit pattern in our mind that no longer is helpful. And so when you practice letting go, it, it becomes easier. So you mentioned meditation. Mm -hmm. The culture in the U.S. is very fast-paced, and most people don't have time to build concentration and awareness. What advice would you give to someone on how to incorporate mindfulness into their daily lives? Well, a person has to want to. A person has to see that the noise in their mind isn't being helpful at times. Meditation is basically settling the mind into its own natural awareness without all of the mental babble and the, the conditioned patterns of the mind. But not everybody wants to do that because we're so identified with the noise in our mind. That's part of what social media does. Is Social media is a mirror of, of the noise in our mind. We get very attached to it. It's hard to let it go. Uh, and so basically you have to want to. You have to want to settle your mind. And then there are many different forms through many different traditions to learn how to do that. One thing I noticed right away when I contacted you is that you have a great sense of humor. And on your website, it mentions your approach to Dharma is thoroughly studied, fearlessly direct, disarmingly humorous, and ritually applicable to everyday life. Why is humor so important to your life and to your teaching? Life's too short to be too serious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's a great kind of so-called Buddhist teaching, Buddhist joke that says, how come Buddhists have trouble cleaning in the corners in their house. And he says, because uh, their vacuums have no attachments. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> you see, so, you know, you have to insert, sometimes people don't get my humor because it's kind of deadpan sometimes in its delivery. But life is pretty funny. Life is really funny. Humans are really silly. And if you, if you can't laugh at it, I don't think the pathway to meditation can even happen if you don't, aren't willing to laugh at yourself the silliness of the world.
Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Oh, God, yes. I saw that the Natural Mind Dharma Center maintains a full weekly schedule of Dharma practices and talks, along with introductory classes, special workshops, and teachings from visiting lamas. Can you talk more about the classes and workshops you offer? And also, can you come into the center as a complete beginner? Yeah, anybody's welcome. Another difference between Vajrayana and Zen, I, I call Zen the Beatles White Album, Vajrayana, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hardcut <laughs> Land. You know, it's, it's very different. We have a lot of visual stimulus and stuff, so you have to be kind of interested in that. But anybody can come in, and we have Sunday mornings early, a session at 8 o'clock and Wednesday evenings at 7. Currently going to be starting community college class through community learning this week. I've been teaching that for 20 years, and it starts this Thursday evening. Still room to sign up you want to through uh, COCC community learning and then I teach little intensives periodically coming Sunday I'll be teaching an intensive on visualization process and so we, we stay pretty active the teachers the lamas that have come my root teachers have actually passed away except for one connection that I have in Kathmandu and, and with the pandemic he hasn't been traveling so we haven't seen seen them visit for a while but we keep pretty busy as it is. With the increase in technology use in regards to young children, it has led to a loss of focus, increased anxiety and depression, and a decrease in empathy. I read an article from U.S. News that talked about elementary schools incorporating mindfulness teachings into their curriculum, which has been shown to increase focus, empathy, and concentration in students. Have you thought about reaching out to Central Oregon school districts to teach mindfulness to students, or do you offer classes for children? Yeah. As yet, not really specifically, other than when I, I get my guest speaker when they do uh, world religion courses. I talk about that, and I've suggested that maybe they start a contemplation club or a meditation club or something, and I would be happy to come in and, and teach something about that. Like I say, you have to want it. It has to start at the school district level, finding that it, it works, because a mindfulness does work at all levels, from young children on up. and. It, the other thing about mindfulness is that increases compassion. You know, when the mind settles and you begin to look at the world in a, a kinder, quieter way, it just helps everyone. So I'm hoping that happens more. And if somebody invites me to do so, I would certainly support that. I was just working with the Forestry Service Center, and they actually have a program to get kids outside more. And that is to increase empathy in students as well is shown to do that so how has your connection to the land influenced your your teaching well that's primary and buddhism is very rooted in in nature if you look at nature with your natural insight you'll recognize that nature is the nature of your mind nature works like the nature of your original mind of your unconditioned mind it flows it moves with change accepts <laughs> it there's a balance there and so in my teachings and my writing, nature is like the muse behind it all. <laughs> it, it also helps if a person is inclined toward meditation. Meditating in, in nature is one of the best environments to do so. So we are nearing the end of our show already, and it's been a wonderful talk. So could you please tell us where people can learn more about you and the Natural Mind Dharma Center? Probably the best way is our website, which is uh, naturalminddharma.org. And that pretty much has all the information. Uh, just keep in mind, we're not, we don't have any social media. You can send an email. We, we will respond if you have a question. But otherwise, you can just come and attend uh, according to the schedule on our website. No social media, living in the present moment. Mm -hmm. A concept, right? Thanks for listening to this KPOV podcast. KPOV is community radio for the high desert of Central Oregon. 
For more information and for our program schedule, go to kpov.org. We value your feedback. Drop us a note at podcast at kpov.org.